Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about Zacchaeus and how everything changed because Zacchaeus was seeking the Lord and the Lord was seeking Zacchaeus. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. Last week, we looked at this really captivating truth that in verse uh, 3 here, Genesis 6, 6, 3, where the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Now, that's the guiding into the truth, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's the same work that he's called us to do. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, you've heard this verse before. What's very important is the context in which this verse was spoken. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So look a few verses up to chapter 19, verse 2. And it starts, this is the context. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And he could not for the press. It has nothing to do with, uh, with the press that we think of. Uh, anyway, he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. Today I must abide at thy house. Oh, he really knew how to invite himself. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be a guest with a man that's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is the context. Here was a man named Zacchaeus. He was Jewish. He was the head of of the tax collectors for Rome. Very bad position for him to be in as far as the way he was viewed by his Jewish people because the tax collectors for the Romans were hated by the Jews. They were collecting money for their oppressors, and they were famous. The tax collectors were just famous for telling the people that they owed taxes that they didn't know so that they could just go ahead and pocket it. See, that's how they became rich. They took it by falsely accusing the people that they had taxes they didn't, see? And these sins, they weighed heavy on this Jewish man, Zacchaeus. And they were like secret sins, his false accusations, his greed, his thievery. You know, he, he should never be in a situation uh, where someone could accuse him to the Romans. Did you, was there a tax like that? Did you remember that? Ta- See, so he was always kind of keeping it covered up. And it was a miserable life. And he had de- de- betrayed his own people. And they didn't feel dirty inside. And he could never let people see what he was all up to. He was always covering up these secret crimes, see? And this was a terrible life for this poor man. He was haunted 
by his own past, he was just trapped by his need to always cover up his sin, his defilement. And there was something that made it even worse about this man, and that was every time he heard his name called, it made it worse. Why? Because whenever he would hear, oh, Zacchaeus, it made him feel terrible because the Hebrew word Zacchaeus comes from the word zakak, a root word which means clean and transparent of all the names. So every time he hears his name, he says, oh, clean, transparent, farthest thing from him. And because he was shifty. So in verse 7, he had a very correct reputation of being a sinner. um, And he was hated. And in verse 3, he has one goal. He's so tormented. He says he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And that phrase, who he was, is loaded with meaning. It's the same that Paul asked the Lord in Acts 9, 5 on the road to Damascus. Who art thou, Lord? Who he was. And Zacchaeus thought to himself, if I can just find out who he is, I'm miserable in my sin, and maybe he has the authority to forgive me. Maybe he has the power to cleanse me. Maybe he has the power to enable me to lead a different life, a new life. But he's got obstacles. The little guy happens to be short, and there are too many tall people. So he secretly climbs up this sycamore tree, and and it says in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him, and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. So many people were crowding around the Lord Jesus Christ at this time, because it says that, right? And people wanted to hear him, and they wanted to see him, and they wanted to be with him, but he's looking up. He's all these people around, and he's looking up, he's just walking. He's on the search. The Lord Jesus is on the search. And, and why was he looking up? He was searching for Zacchaeus. He was seeking to save lost Zacchaeus. That's a picture of how you and I should operate in life. Not wait for the lost to fall over, and not be fishing and wait for the fish to jump in our boat, but to do like he's doing, be on the search. Ask God to help us find the lost who need to be saved. And then when the Lord Jesus found Zacchaeus, he commands him, come down and because today, he says, he says, very big urgency here. Today I must, I must abide at thy house. Not tomorrow, but today. And, and not I'd like to abide at your house, not may I, but I must abide at your house. Why? Because of 2 Corinthians 6.2. Behold, now is the day of salvation, is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And look how everything changed when Zacchaeus opened his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus starts off in verse 2. He comes to the Lord as a thief. But with one call from the Lord Jesus in verse 8, he's giving away half his goods to the poor. In verse 4, he's climbing up a tree and hiding up there to see secretly the Lord Jesus. But with one call in verse 6, he's coming down and he's making himself known to be a seeker of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, he doesn't know who the Lord Jesus is. Verse 8, he knows for sure that he's, the Lord Jesus is God, and he calls him that. Verse 2, he's chief among the publicans who are 
pocketing what they had no right to. With one call, everything changes, and in verse 8, he's restoring fourfold to those he's falsely taken from, his victims. Verse 3, he left his house, and a lost son of the devil. One call from the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9, he's saved, and he's a son of Abraham. Everything changed in Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was seeking the Lord and the Lord was seeking Zacchaeus. And if Zacchaeus never sought the Lord, never went out that day with the goal to find out who the Lord Jesus was and if he could help him, he never would have been saved. And if the Lord had not been seeking for lost Zacchaeus and looking up in the trees and calling him and telling him that he had to spend time with him, and Zacchaeus wouldn't have been saved. And the Lord said, did you see that whole process? He says, did you see that whole process of what happened today? That's an illustration of what I mean in verse 10 when it says, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. See, the whole process of what happened with the Lord and Zacchaeus the Lord wanted to just capture in one succinct statement. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what he wants us to see. He says, in essence, I did that today with Zacchaeus because I do that every day because that's why I came to earth. He said, that is simply it. I came here to do this, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the key verse in the book of Luke. But Luke wrote another book in the Bible. You know what it is? Acts. He wrote the book of Acts. And why is it called Acts? Because it's a history of the acts of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at Acts 1.1. So turn, if you would, please, to that. Acts 1.1. Acts 1.1. So this very important first verse says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. What was the former treatise that Luke is referring to? Yeah, book of Luke, right? Okay, what did Jesus began to do and to teach that he's referring to? The key verse. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And why does it say here that the Lord Jesus began to do and to teach? Because he didn't finish it. He began, but he didn't finish. He didn't, be, he didn't finish. Why not? Because the book of Acts is the continuation of the Lord, of the job to get done. See, we are now to be the seekers of the lost so they can get saved. And when the Lord Jesus Christ died and resurrected to heaven, he left. He left earth. I mean, they could have said, Three years? You're going? You're leaving? Yes. And his feet left this earth. Those are the feet that it says, talks about in Luke 8, 1, where it says it came to pass that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Those are the feet that carried him from village to village, from city to city, seeking the lost. Those feet left the earth. His eyes left the earth. 
Those are the eyes that it talks about in Matthew 9.36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. His eyes that looked for and saw the lost condition of men, those eyes left the earth. His heart left this earth that was moved as what we just referred to in Matthew 9.36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. That's in his heart. Mark 10.21 speaks about when a man approached him, it says Jesus beholding him with his eyes, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross, follow me. That heart that had compassion, that loved the lost, it left the earth. His ears left the earth that heard the arguments of the lost against him. Like I was talking about in Mark, Matthew 9, 11 through 12, it says, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And then it says in Matthew 9, 12, but when Jesus heard that, when he heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Those ears that listened to the lost, in order to understand them, those ears left the earth. His mind left the earth. The mind, his mind, the thought of what to say. He heard that. Did you ever notice how the Lord Jesus Christ, unlike us, never gave pat answers to everybody? And it's a little frustrating for us because we say, well, why don't you just give me a formula that I can use every time, you know? I'll just write it down on some three-by-five cards and I'll memorize those verses and that'll be it. But he didn't. He was always changing the response. To some, it was, if you drink this water, you'll never have to drink again. To others, I am the bread of life. To others, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. It was all going different. Why was he doing that? Because he was hearing what that lost person was saying. And, and his mind was engaged and working and devising and creating the best answer. And that's why when he heard, like we just said, when Jesus heard the, what the Pharisees said about um, eating with sinners, his mind went to work and he said, they that behold me not a physician, but they that are sick. That mind put together the perfect reply to every argument of every sinner, every lost person. That mind left the earth. His mouth, his mouth left the earth that spoke inviting words to the lost, like John 3.16. God so loved, that was his, from his mouth. He said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Tom, a listener, wrote in and wanted to know from Judges chapter 11 if the judge Jephthah was right or wrong when he followed through on his vow to sacrifice the first person who walked through his door after God had delivered the Israel people from the Ammonites. And that first person that walked through that door was his own daughter that he ended up sacrificing because he wanted to keep his vow. Now, was he right or wrong in keeping his vow? You know, I'm so glad that this question was asked because it really shows to us from this passage in Judges 11 a principle that's in the Bible. And that principle is is that God has given to us 
the ability to think, and he's created for us many principles within the Bible to guide our thinking. And then we have these examples, such as this one here in Judges 11, so that we can apply the Bible to see if this was right or this was wrong. And again, as you said, this was a judge of Israel. It was Jephthah. He had made a vow to God. His vow was that if God had delivered the Jewish people from the Ammonites— that he had said to God in his zeal that the first person to walk through his door after this great deliverance that God had given, that he would sacrifice, he would kill that person. And that person happened to have been his daughter. And so the question is, after he killed his daughter, was he right or wrong? Good question. All right. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Now, we have in the Bible good vows, and we have in the Bible bad vows. Let's see some examples. In 1 Samuel 1.11, we have Hannah, and Hannah made a vow to God. And this is how 1 Samuel 1.11 reads. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. That's a vow. It says she vowed a vow. What was her vow? She was infertile. She didn't have any children. Her Elkanah had another wife and he she he had children with her and and that wife was taunting Hannah and made Hannah's life miserable. And so Hannah turned to God and she made this vow and said, "Lord, if you give me a man child, I'll give him back to you." And that man child turned out to be the great prophet Samuel that anointed King David. That was a good vow. And that was a vow that she absolutely should have and did keep, and that was good. But we also see some other vows in the Bible. For example, Judas made a vow in Matthew 26, 15, where he said to to the religious leaders, said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him, he's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. He made a vow. He said, you give me the 30 pieces of silver, I will deliver him to you. I will deliver the Lord Jesus Christ to you, and you will give me the 30 pieces of silver. That was a vow. A covenant is a vow. So he covenanted with them. That was a vow that needed to be repented of. It was never good for Judas to have made that vow, and he needed to repent of that vow. For example, we also see in 2 Chronicles 25 the history of when Amaziah was going to be attacked by his enemies and he had made an agreement to hire help for a hundred talents of silver. And yet the prophet had come to Amaziah and said, you're wrong and if you go to battle, you're going to fall. He says that in 2 Chronicles 25, 8, where it reads, where we read, 
But if thou wilt go, do it, be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. Now Amaziah, he said, well, look, I made the covenant and I've paid the money already. I've made the vow and I've paid the money. So in verse nine, he says, and Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. So that was a vow that he had made and he had already transferred the money over for to get the help. And God, in essence, God says, you repent of that vow, which he did. In other words, when we make a bad vow, which Jephthah did when he said, I'm going to kill the first person. I mean, Jephthah was in the heat of emotion and zeal and said, oh, God. And he, and he felt that somehow if he had this dramatic vow that he would get God's attention, that he would sacrifice the person who walked into his door, that was never of God. It was never of God for Jephthah to kill his daughter. It was never of God at all. But he made this vow. So what had should Jephthah? to have done the same thing that Judas should have done, the same thing that Amaziah did do, repent of the vow. That's why God invented repentance. Repentance is to say I'm wrong, even if a vow, a, a bad vow was made to God or a bad vow was made, repent of it. Don't follow through with it. So, The answer to the question, was he right or wrong in keeping his vow? He was wrong in keeping his vow. He was wrong for sacrificing his daughter. He was wrong for having made that vow. That was a vow that needed to be repented of. He should have repented of that vow and never have killed his daughter because God didn't tell him, the first person that walks through your door, I want you to sacrifice to me. This wasn't an Abraham and Isaac situation. This wasn't a situation where God came to prove Abraham in Genesis 22 and said, Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And we have the pattern there that Abraham did not end up sacrificing his son, but God withheld his hand because he wanted to prove that he loved God, that Abraham loved God more than Isaac, his son, who it says, who it describes as the son whom thou lovest. And he did. And he said, look, we've get, here is the ram that's caught in the thicket and you're going to sacrifice him in the stead of your son, in place of your son. From that pattern in scripture, what Jephthah knew, he should have understood that it is not God's will for a man to be sacrificing his children to God. That's what the heathen did. That's what they did to Moloch when they took their sons and their daughters and made them pass through the fire. That was evil. That was wrong. And God had identified that as evil and wrong. And Jephthah should have known better. It was never God's will. So just because Jephthah makes this vow to in his zeal for God to kill the first person who comes into the door there. And who do you think caused that the first person to come into the door would be his daughter? God caused that. And why did God cause the first person to walk in his door to be Jephthah's daughter? To make Jephthah come to himself, to make Jephthah understand it was wrong. I need to repent of this vow. I need to tell God how dearly sorry I am 
And that was God's call to him. And then what did his daughter say to Jephthah? She said, Father, please give me some months so that I can go onto the hillside and repent of and wail for my virginity that I'd never be married, I'll never have children, and so forth with my girlfriends. And so she does that. And all during that time, God is calling to Jephthah, Jephthah, there's still time. Jephthah, repent of your vow. Jephthah, that was not a vow that was originated in God. I never led you to make that vow. That was a vow that came from your heart, and you were wrong, and you need to repent. But Jephthah, he didn't repent, and Jephthah followed through, and we have the history and the account here in the Scripture. And why do we have this history and account of such a disturbing thing in the Scripture? Because God wants us to understand that at any time we understand that we were wrong that that's the time to do the best thing, to do the most noble thing, to do the thing that God would do and let him lead us to repentance and to say, I was wrong. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like any of Tom Cantor's resources, materials, books, or videos? They're available on all of our websites by going to friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. .org or israelrestoration.org. Both websites have a resources page that you can go to and order Tom Cantor materials, books, videos, and teachings, including the Genesis teaching on DVD. We've got G1, G2, G3, and G4 available right now with a workbook companion. You can get these. It's a four-disc DVD set. It's available on both websites. Or if you need help with ordering any of these materials, call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Now, we have many materials available on our websites, all for free listening, download, and viewing. So go to friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. Again, Israel Restoration Ministries reaches over a million lost Jewish people a year. And you can learn more about Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor at israelrestoration.org. Now, if you'd like to help us reach a lost Jewish person, we want to help you to do that by giving you a Tom Cantor DVD or testimony booklet for free that you can get to one of your lost Jewish friends, family members, co-workers, or a doctor, a lawyer, someone that you've come in contact that's Jewish. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051.